at least in the US, it's a different kind of mindset around online casino. It's one thing to say, oh, everybody likes sports. Everybody's filled out a March Madness bracket or bet $5 on a game. But as soon as it becomes, you can play slots on your phone, you can play blackjack on your phone. I think we're still Puritan enough of a country that it's a more difficult sell, even though it's substantially more money for the states in terms of tax revenue. You're listening to the Gaming News Canada show with Steve McAllister, recorded live on LinkedIn Audio. Follow Steve on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to LinkedIn Audio and the latest edition of the Gaming News Canada show. I'm Steve McAllister, your host, the editor-in-chief of Gaming News Canada. It's Thursday, March 23rd, 2023. A quick shout out to my brother, Greg, who uh, who's celebrating his birthday today. Happy birthday, Greg. Got a lengthy list of guests this week, so looking forward to the conversation over the next hour. Our regulars, Amanda Brewer from Kindred Group, Will Help from Flightline Payments are here. I'm expecting we'll be joined by uh, Chris Sabato Patano at some point over the hour. And uh, we're also going to be joined uh, a little bit later by Jessica Wellman, the editor of SBC. But we want to kick off today's show with Reed Behe, the uh, longtime journalist now writes for CDC Gaming Reports, who's back with us on LinkedIn Audio. Before we bring Kelly Koffler on board, Reed, I just want to talk to uh, talk to you quickly. Um, you you had a story that I had a chance to read yesterday, and uh, always looking for for different uh, different topics or unique features and. Uh, that was certainly the case with your uh, with your long read on uh, on social media influencers in the casino business, and uh, you you uh, did many profiles on on Brian Christopher, who's actually uh, got some Canadian roots. Uh, Kelly, here we're going to have on here in a second, and, and also Jack Duffy, and uh, you know, as I like to often ask reporters, and, and Will Hill and I talk about this, is what uh, you know, how how did this story come about for you, Reed? Well, it came about when I read about Brian Christopher testifying before uh, Eurasia Senate about trying to get smoking out of casinos. And, you know, I met Brian a few years ago and talked to him and thought he was on something with his social media influencer thing. But what this seemed to be like a turning point for me that social, that the influence now had some kind of influence in the gaming industry. You wouldn't expect that, or at least I didn't. And so I thought maybe there's something more here. And then um, I was trying to figure out who else to bring in on this. And I thought of Kelly um, because her videos are so unique and so friendly and so enthusiastic about what she was doing. And um, from there we added Josh Duffy and, started you know talking to these people about what they do kelly that's a great uh, great segue we're going to bring in kelly Koff- kelly Koffler, the the content creator for beyond blackjack and kelly the question as soon as i read regis piece yesterday and and uh we we found out that we we're going to get you in the linkedin audio today i mean i've been dying to ask the question like how does a former school teacher uh become someone who has fifty thousand social media followers watching you play um, table games now who knows? Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's a it's a mystery, right? Um, I, I don't know. This is just some crazy thing. It was my husband's idea, actually. And I never imagined that it would be where it is now and would have um, given us the opportunities 
that it has given us. So it's it's been a ride. Right. How how did this all how did this all start, Kelly? And can you maybe walk walk our listeners through just you know what what it is you do? Because I think a lot of us a lot of us read and we hear about social media influencers, and, and a lot of us don't understand what that means exactly. But can you, can you maybe just give us uh, the Sparks Notes version of your of your story through through this uh, current journey you're on? Sure. Um, so it was kind of during COVID that my husband was watching this stuff on YouTube and, um, I kind of laughed at him and I was like, who watches slots on YouTube? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. I, you know, but then I started watching it and I couldn't stop. So it's, you know, I guess it's, people think it's silly until, until you start watching it. I guess if you, if you enjoy doing it, then you enjoy watching it. Right. Just like you were talking about golf, people watch golf on TV. And to me, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't imagine, but I'm not a golfer. So, you know, um, but I was watching these people and I just was obsessed with it because if I couldn't go to the casino, then at least I could feel like I was playing through them. And, um, then it just kind of took off from there. I really kind of thought this would be more of my husband, being the personality and I was just going to kind of sit back quietly, but it, it did, didn't turn out that way at all. My husband in real life is the extrovert and I'm more introverted, but on camera, we seem to be complete opposite. Um, so it has, has just kind of been my baby and I don't know. I love it. It's, it's, it's an addictive thing, not the gambling, but the YouTube part of it is, um, is really, you, you become obsessed with it because you're meeting so many people and you're seeing the joy that you're bringing and you, you do see that you influence people and it's a weird thing um, to think about, but I saw it happen um, in my own life. And so um, I talk about Cosmopolitan, I think they were kind of the forefront of letting people film in their casinos. And I had never been to Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas ever. Um, but when I started watching all these videos, I saw everyone was at Cosmopolitan. Now, I didn't realize they were all at Cosmopolitan because Cosmopolitan was the only person who would let them or the only place that would let them film. To me, it was like, oh, well, Cosmopolitan must be the place to be because all of these people are at Cosmopolitan. Then the next time I went to Vegas, that's where I went. And then that was where I gambled for the next several years. And it all was because I saw people online playing at Cosmopolitan. So the influence is there for sure. Um, just remind uh, our listeners that if you, you have a question for Kelly, we only ever heard reach for, for a short period here. So if you have a question, just raise your hand. There's a, a hand in the right-hand corner of your screen that you can tap on and, and uh, the request to speak, and we'll, we'll get you in here. Hey, Kelly, can, just what, what's your, so what's your, quote, work week look like? I mean, you know, where are, are you strictly playing in Vegas, or, or where, do you, uh, where, where do you shoot these live videos? Well, I, am, I live in New Orleans, so um, there's a couple places that I can film locally, but most of my filming does come out of Vegas just because they, it's easy. Um, they don't kind of give me a hard time when I'm there. So I am usually in Vegas once a month or once every other month. And when I'm there, I'm just recording everything that I do. So um, some people are like, wow, you're in the casino every day because I have a video out every day. And it's like, no, I'm not <laughs> really in a casino every day. I just film 
you know, hours and hours worth of content while I'm on a trip. So um, in a three or four day trip, I may have a month or two worth of slot videos and table videos. And then when I get home, um, then it's sorting and editing and, you know, putting everything on, creating thumbnails, answering comments. It's, it is definitely um, a full-time job without the full-time pay. <laughs> right. <laughs> and what, what's the reaction you get from, from other players at the table you're at and, and from dealers? I mean, is, is this something that's acceptable or do, is it because that, uh, as Reach mentioned off the top that you, you, you know, you, you have a, a very, uh, a very high likability IQ that, that people are happy to have you at their table and they're not uh, distracted by the filming. So typically when I film tables, I'm at a table by myself. So um, I, I could never just walk into a casino and just set uh, a camera up at a table. Now I can do that at um, a slot machine as long as I have permission to film there. For a table game, um, that is a much bigger process. So typically I get in touch with marketing, um, maybe even a month in advance and say, hey, these are the days I'm going to be there. Um, is it possible for me to come in and film? And then I have to tell them exactly what time, what day, exactly what tables I'm going to be at, for how long I'm going to be at those tables. Um, so it's very regimented. When I get there, um, they typically reserve that table. Now, there's only one other influencer that I've ever seen that has filmed with just people coming and going from the tables. But typically, the casinos don't like that because they don't they wouldn't have that control, I guess, of what people can come on camera and just say or do. So I get, I get that. So typically I'm by myself. Um, I film for however long I've told them I was going to be at that table and then they open the table back up. So when my filming is done, it's usually early morning on a weekday when the casino is not busy. Cause I try not to ever take the table from people who want to play just a couple more questions um you know read your story also gets into the, these influencers the role that you that you play in educating new casino or table game players you know amanda brewer and i were going back and forth by email be before the show today and and talking a bit about res the responsible gambling messaging and and uh uh, in this forum, you know, it's almost, it seems like on a weekly basis, we're talking about brand ambassador deals or influencers and, and the, the roles and responsibility that those people play in, in getting across that responsible gambling message. Is that, is that something that, that's, that is part of your, uh, part of what you're doing on camera as well? I feel like for me, it is just because I have a much lower um, buy-in level and my bet sizing is much lower. And I make it very clear that it is about entertainment only. Like, even in the comments when people, you know, because you always get that, well, you should have bet more or you should have done this. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not there trying to pay my mortgage. Like, this is, this is just to relax and have fun. And you shouldn't count on gambling to make money. Um, and so that's kind of the approach I take. And I definitely see um, there are some some channels out there that have really huge buy-ins and uh, ridiculous bet sizing and maybe um, just play it all down to nothing. <laughs> and, and it's hard for me to even watch it as, as a viewer. And I get it. It's all relative. Like maybe they've got it to spend, but from a um, standpoint of just where we're at economically, like it's hard to watch 
people blow through a hundred or, you know, $50,000 in a live stream and kind of not cringe at that. Um, but you know, everybody's got to do their thing, I guess. Um, it's just not my thing. Hey, Kelly, just last question for me. When you, uh, you know, when you, you mentioned earlier, you, you go through and you respond to comments on your, on your YouTube channel. Um, is there a, a question that you get more often than not, or a theme, a theme that you come across more often than not? So there's a few of them. So I do get a lot of people saying they never played table games. They were intimidated and now they're going to the games after watching. They watch to learn. So that's always a good feeling for me because that was kind of what I was hoping to do with the channel. Um, there's also always the conspiracy theory. Um, eh, probably a, a tenth of the comments on every video that has a shuffler has to do with the shuffler being rigged and they, they could set it to where the casino gets the winning hand so that's always an interesting discussion great stuff kelly i really appreciate you hopping on here before i let you go i just want to get Reach back in here for a second too and and uh Reach, do, do you think um like do you think we're going to see more more um influencers out there and and are there or you know you're reporting some of the reporting that you found that you couldn't put into your story is that there are a lot of these influencers out there and are we going to see more kelly cofflers down the road i think so from getting responses from jonathan jostle at the plaza in las vegas and adam uh Wiesberg at the el cortez in downtown las vegas they both emphasize that they welcome this and that it's a way to promote uh, their properties. And there's no downside to it as long as they are responsible, are doing outrageous things. They don't want people like railing on about politics or, you know, swearing or anything like that. But I think we're going to see more and more of this as we go on. Reg B is the... Uh reporter for CDC Gaming Reports. You can follow Regis' work on cdcgamingreports.com. Uh, Kelly Koffler is a content creator for Beyond Blackjack. Uh, Regis, always thanks thanks for reaching out and tipping me off about the, about this story and for helping us tee up Kelly. Uh, Kelly, thanks so much for, for coming on the show, and, and we, uh, we'd love to have you back here down the road. Thanks. Thanks for having thanks, me. Steve. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, both. Uh, we're going to uh, get Jessica Wellman in here from uh, from SBC uh, very uh, very shortly and again thanks to both Reg and uh, and Kelly for joining and and um, you know taking us in a, a bit of a different path from where we usually go on Thursdays and maybe uh, Amanda just while we're trying to trying to get Jessica up here you know just again your comments and we have three current NHL players right now who who are brand ambassadors for sports books and uh, it seems every week that those stories about responsible gambling aren't, aren't going away and there does appear to be a little bit more pressure um, across the industry. I don't know if urgency is the right word, but certainly for more attention to be paid to that responsible gambling message. Yeah, I mean, it's it's no no surprise. It's something that's been front and center with the regulations since the market launched and I know that you know, the handful of operators that were, you know, kind of first out with advertising on April 4th, FanDuel, that 365 chose to launch with RG messages. It's something that Mark Otten and her team at iGaming Ontario paid close attention to. So there, there has been discussion, I mean, nothing official, but discussion that if you're going to be paying people to act as brand ambassadors, whether they're active 
athletes, whether they are, you know, micro influencers or, you know, influencers with more than, you know, half a million followers, if you're going to be paying the money to promote your brand and your product, if, you know, at least 50% of their content or, you know, their time needs to be spent also promoting the responsible use of the product as well. Um, and I think that that's something we'll probably see more of. And I think the operators are taking it upon themselves to start putting that into contracts because the last thing you want, because we are all responsible for our contractors, every supplier we hire, we are responsible for. So if you hire someone who's going to be going on TikTok to be promoting your brand and then they go completely offside with the regulations, then, you know, you as an operator gets in trouble and that person probably gets fired. So I think it's in everyone's best interest to be trying to put their best foot forward as, you know, we've seen some of the pushback to, to the advertising, even though, you know, the actual number and volume hasn't been that high. So I think as we go forward and, you know, we're starting to look at more channels, you know, to use, to try to, you know, get the message out, you know, we should be, we shouldn't be trying to promote responsible use of the product at all times too. Yeah. Chris, I'd like to get you on this topic as well. Well, it's important. I think it's important on both sides. I think a, a public figure doesn't want to be seen as someone who is um, gambling irresponsibly. I don't think that's good for their image. I don't think it's good for the company's image. Um, you know, one of the things, and, and when you're talking about casino streaming, um, it's something that we try to dapple in at Coolbet. It's something that we're talking about in the office here today um, because, you know, the sports marketing part of our industry is, is alive and well. Um, it's the casino part that I don't think is done very well, and it's difficult to do. And, you know, I've seen... You know, you know, streamers across platforms. You know, you be YouTube or Twitch or or wherever, and you know they'll tell you that. Well, people don't want to watch me unless I'm I'm betting hundreds per spin and things like that. And we've we've had those opportunities uh, at both companies and and step back away from it because I I don't think it's a good I don't think it's a good um, visual. I, I understand why people like to watch it, right? Um, as a viewer, but I, I, uh, I think it's very, very slippery slope to, to go down. If you're, um, if you're, if you're showing people, cause listen, 99% of the people lose playing casino games. That's the reality of it. And to do it at huge stakes like that is, um, yeah, it's not responsible. And, uh, you know, it is on the operators to, to make sure that they they're careful when engaging those, uh, influencers. Yeah, and Kelly did make the point that she's she's playing small stakes, and that uh, you know she's not looking at her her uh, YouTube videos to to uh, at least her work at the at the tables not to pay off the mortgage. So um, yes, very uh, very uh, very wise words. Um, I want to bring in uh, the editor of SBC Americas, um, Jessica Wellman, who's been with us a couple of times on on LinkedIn Audio, and and Jessica, welcome back and. Uh, I think why you know why I wanted to get you back on this week is there seems to be a renewed uh, push once again uh, with unregulated states in the U.S. to to make that push uh, for legal sports betting. Uh, you know, this week in the newsletter, I think it's uh, you know G Georgia, Missouri, Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, and North Carolina. There's a, there's all. I think noise out there with the lawmakers and and trying to uh, trying to move that uh, that forward. Are are any of those states? Do you see any of those states, Jessica, being being close to to getting something done in twenty twenty three? 
Yeah, uh, I have. It's hard to keep tabs on everything. <laughs> I- I'm going to take a nod from Kelly and maybe I'll start live streaming me watching these meetings <laughs> and, and get people to watch along with me with my snarky commentary. Uh, one state you didn't mention is uh, my home state, Kentucky. I think actually Kentucky is in a very good spot. Right now, they're in a legislative break. Governor Bashir is signing the bills that have been passed into law and sending back some that he may potentially veto. And during that two-day window after this is the last two days of the session, sports betting is eligible to come up for a vote in the Senate during that time. And Governor Bashir has indicated he will sign it. If it passes, There's, they say there may be one, two votes away from getting what they need typical American legislative fashion because it's a budget or an odd numbered year in Kentucky. Anything relating to the budget has to pass by a three fifths margin instead of a simple majority. So had it been last year, we'd be done. Uh, It would be passing and there wouldn't be a problem this year because we need those extra couple of votes um, still somewhat up in the air, but I, I went from thinking there was no chance this was happening three weeks ago to spending some time in Frankfurt um, watching these hearings take place and talking with some of the people there. And it, it's starting to look like a real possibility. The other one I think has very good chances this year is North Carolina. It's moving quickly through the House and should be approaching the Senate too. Uh, so far, it has avoided what kind of torpedoed it last year, which were some unfriendly amendments like the banning of betting on any college sport whatsoever. And then the one I'm going to be a downer about, it sounds like it's at the finish line, Missouri, but they have a very obstructionist guy there named uh, Senator Denny Hoskins, who has openly said he will do his best to filibuster and kill this bill if it does not get video lottery terminals attached onto it. We haven't, they haven't figured out a way around him yet. So even though it seems like in the process, Missouri's the furthest along, it's the one that I, I'm actually the most skeptical about. I guess the one that the, I think w- there was some noise about early in, at the start of the year, Jessica, but haven't heard much about lately is, is Minnesota. And again, I, I, I say that from a place we're not completely understanding uh, the state-by-state workings of, of lawmakers. So I don't know if that's just the case where the legislature isn't sitting in Minnesota right now, but th- there seemed to be some momentum, that, momentum there at the start of the year. It did. And the bill that they have there has team buy-in and tribe buy-in, which is right. huge. Uh, what it doesn't have is track buy-in. There's a couple different bills. There is a a bill there that involves the, the tracks, Canterbury Park, and I'm blanking on some of the others. Um, I think the fact that the tracks are not included in the version of the bill from, I believe it's Representative Stevenson, uh, seems to be holding it up a little bit. It's one that, again, every day I I feel like I'm in, you know, mission control. I have multiple screens with multiple hearings going at the same time. So I haven't had a chance to pay as much attention to Minnesota, but it is one that its chances are still very much alive to my understanding. We haven't hit, uh, if, since I assume there are Canadians on this more than Americans, I'm going to give you the brief civics lesson that there's what's called a crossover deadline in a lot of these legislatures where if it doesn't advance out of the House into the Senate or out of the Senate into the House, the bill's dead for the year. Um, We've hit that crossover deadline in certain places. And so um, 
you know, it seems like it um, is done for the year, although you could have something like in Georgia where you find a vaguely relevant bill about soapbox derbies and sneak your legislation onto it. Uh, That was a choice. Um, We could talk about that one for a second. I don't think it has a good chance of passing, though. Yeah, we did, and again, we we do link to that uh, that story in the state size section of newsletter this week because that one uh, that one hit me like uh, like a Randy Johnson fastball. That, <laughs> that 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 story. Maybe maybe you can just explain to the listeners what what that's all about. Right. So we had hit the crossover deadline in Georgia, and none of the measures there were probably six, I think, different sports betting bills floating around managed to successfully cross over to the other chamber. What happened instead was a bill to make a, I believe it's in South Georgia, a South Georgia town's soapbox derby, the official soapbox derby of Georgia, uh, which is the first piece of legislation from a first term female legislator. Uh, The committee basically took this three page bill that was very simple and added 44 more pages to it that is essentially repurposing one of the sports betting bills so that now it has kind of skipped over the part of going to the house and goes to the Senate for a vote. And then it'll go back to the house. Uh, The optics of this were terrible. Um, Both local media and gambling media really uh, came down hard on the way that this was chosen to be done. It sounds like it was mostly the Lieutenant governor pushing this through Um, And it was kind of stated plainly by one of the committee co-chairs, there's not a shot that this is going to pass in the House because of the optics of taking a bill for a children's activity and um, hijacking it to become a sports betting vehicle. You have to believe that people in the industry itself, Jessica, have to be spitting nails too, because it does kind of, it, it is a, kick to the credibility of the industry when when someone is trying to tie a sports betting bill to to something like a soapbox derby yeah i think this is the most excessively craven version of this but some of it is just politics you know uh you can look at at the federal level the safe ports act that created the unlawful internet gambling expansion act was one of these strange committee substitute under the cover of night amendments that Some of this, I I hate to defend it, and I'm not defending it, but some of it is how the sausage gets made. This is how we've passed other states. It's just been (laughs) attached to like a less egregious bill as as this one where the sponsor is almost in tears asking to have her soapbox derby language removed from it because she's so offended by what is happening. Uh, to, and as Jessica mentioned at the top of her appearance here, I, I, if you if you don't follow her on Twitter already, you should because uh, she does have some fun when she's watching these these hearings. And you'd have to have a sense of humor. You'd probably stab yourself in the eye with a knife, but or a fork. But uh, it's it's at Jess Wellman, J E S S W E L M A N. And uh, Jessica's story on the on the uh, bid to to tie sports betting with a soapbox derby bill is is on SBCAmericas.com, and you can also find the the link in the newsletter. Um, we could not have you in this forum, Jessica, and and not ask you about Texas, Florida, and California, which of course are the big, uh, probably the, the big, uh, biggest three players right now in the North American sports betting market, and and. Obviously, sportsbook operators would love to be in those three states. Can you can you give us a quick update on when, where things stand in those three states? 
Sure. Uh, California is still licking its wounds from a historic beatdown at the polls. Uh, Prop 26 and Prop 27 were two competing measures for sports betting. They both failed by actually historic margins, not just for gambling, but for any measures. Um, It was a very negative campaign. And the moral of the story to come out of that campaign last year was that until you get operators and tribes on the same page, I really don't think there's any way you're going to get sports betting in California. Uh, Again, I'm sorry. This is, this is like schoolhouse rock. I wish I had like cartoons and songs to make these civics lessons more interesting, but um, California is a state where if you want to change gambling in the state, you have to change the state constitution. And the only way you can do that is through a voter referendum, a ballot initiative. So that's the big hiccup there is that it, because you have to take it to the polls, it just makes it that much harder to to get this process working. Um, I don't think we'll, we certainly won't see anything this year. I don't even know if 2024 might be too soon for this to come back. I think the appetite in California, from what I've heard from my friends who live there, we're talking like commercials every 30 seconds about sports betting all day long for months. I don't think they're ready to hear about this debate again. So I wouldn't expect anything, you know, in certainly not this year because it's not an election year. And then next year, I, I don't have high hopes. Florida is tied up in a Supreme Court case involving the Seminole tribe and whether it's compact with the state to have exclusivity on sports betting is compliant with the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. I believe we're still in the midst of that case. That one I haven't had quite the opportunity to do like the full read of the arguments being put forth there, but I know that's where it sits at the moment. Texas, we did have a hearing this week, which I, I feel like the hearing itself that it happened is big news. Texas is a state that really, it doesn't, it has like one tribal casino. It has charitable bingo. It has the lottery. And that's really all it has. It's not a very gambling friendly state. So the fact that um, there was a hearing and that there were representatives from basically every major sports team as well as major operators um, testifying on behalf of this bill was a a good sign. But Texas, like uh, California, they are debating whether you need a constitutional amendment there, but it sure seems like you're going to need a constitutional amendment. So again, you're going to have to take it to the voters. I think Texas is such a sports happy state that voters will probably be excited to vote for this. But you also have to keep in mind that sometimes these referendums get framed in a way that's very different from what the referendum actually is. For example, in California, I think the name on it, I'm going to get it wrong. So I'm just going to give it a facetious name was like a, you know, don't you like homeless people? Uh, referendum where all the money was going to benefit homeless people and it was framed as, don't you want to vote to support to bring more money to protect and and do more for the homeless of California, when really the measure was essentially, do you want online betting in California or not? So you have to keep in mind there are politics around this that you never know what kind of packaging comes around these measures, but I think if the message is clear enough to Texans, do you want online sports betting or not? I have a feeling based on polling that I've seen that the appetite is certainly there for it to pass. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sure uh, Dallas Cowboys owner Jerry Jones is fairly <laughs> fairly keen, though. Jerry, Jerry's never met a dollar that he doesn't like, so I'm sure he's all over this as well. well that yeah, was part great. of the testimony yesterday. Um, someone uh, appearing on behalf of the Fertitas was saying, if you want the Houston Rockets to be a competitive NBA franchise, we need more money, and this is a way for us to bring money into the team and be able to financially compete with some of our bigger competitors. Uh, Will Hill, Amanda Brewer, Chris Abbott, did any of you have a, a comment or a question for Jessica while, while we have her for a few more minutes? What I'm fascinated in, uh, Jessica's talked largely through the lens of sports betting, um, but um, there's been very few references, if any, made to online casino, and I know that that's a very difficult bridge to cross in many U.S. states. Uh, but Jessica, where does the temperature sit in some of the leading jurisdictions as it relates to um, expanding on the six or seven states that have thus far allowed online casino? That's a great question, Will. Uh, and unfortunately, I don't have the happiest of answers for you. Uh, it doesn't look like we're going to get any except for maybe New Hampshire. Um, very small state there. And it's a state that also, it, it kind of has everything already. It has online lotteries, sports betting, that sort of thing. So I'm not surprised that they would be willing to add this. We really thought Indiana was a state that was poised to get this done. But what happened was, um, these bills have what are called like fiscal notes attached to them where independent auditors for the state kind of determine how much money is going to come in for these efforts. And Indiana got a really unfavorable fiscal note that I'm sure many of you will roll your eyes at, basically argued that it would cannibalize um, existing brick-and-mortar casinos. It was based on a study done at UNLV in 2014, which you'll recall is a time where New Jersey was really just getting started with online casino. We didn't have real good data that we have now that indicates it's not a problem. So that kind of killed Indiana's chances. Iowa has a bill that's live, but it's more just setting the stage so that next year they can get it through. And in New York, um, Senator Joseph Adaba was really pushing for it, but the governor didn't include it in the budget. So that seems to be done for the year as well. I think it's just a, at least in the U.S., it's a different kind of, mindset around online casino it's one thing to say oh everybody likes sports everybody's filled out a march madness bracket or bet five dollars on a game but as soon as it becomes you know you can play slots on your phone you can play blackjack on your phone i think we're still a, a puritan enough of a country that it's just it's a more difficult sell even though as we all know, it, it's substantially more money for the states in terms of tax revenue because it's a bigger industry. Right. Hey, Jessica, tomorrow marks uh, two weeks since the opening of the uh, legal online sports betting market in Massachusetts. Any any early observations there? Um, I am fascinated with Massachusetts. I actually took a break from watching their latest meeting. What's been interesting there is we've seen a lot of infractions so far. Each of the retail casinos, which did open January 31st, 30th, something like that, all of them have um, accidentally taken bets on prohibited in-state college games. We have heard that FanDuel ran ads that promoted free bets and credit card deposits, which aren't allowed to be 
There are no credit card deposits in Massachusetts. You aren't allowed to do inducements. And we're going to see the litigation of Barstool's can't lose parlay at um, the MGC here soon to determine whether that um, falls under the window of um, deceptive language around the risks around bets. Uh, It's written into their regulations like it is in Ohio and Ontario, I think, as well, that you aren't allowed to say anything that seems to indicate there's no risk into what you're doing. Uh, They're going to tell you it's facetious, it's sarcastic, but this will be kind of the first time that we see regulators really take this into consideration. What I appreciate about Massachusetts is their regulators are very willing to roll their sleeves up and kind of ask questions and make sure responsible gambling is at the forefront of what they're doing. Uh, The other observation I've heard from my friends in the affiliate space that it's been like Ohio, another just massive launch for them in terms of new signups. I'm not surprised. It's a, it's a very sports rich state. Yeah, no, no surprise at all. Jessica, I I guess just add on to that there, you know, we're already seeing the, uh, the debate over the, the the amount of sports betting advertising. Uh, Dan Shaughnessy, who's a longtime sports columnist for the Boston Globe, came out with a piece this week and, and is uh, you know already already fed up with it. Um, Charlie Van Buskirk wrote a piece or did some reporting for MassLive.com, but with you know with the state's lawmakers basically saying sure the the amount of advertising is a bit annoying, but it's nothing that's uh, illegal. And again, this is a conversation we're very familiar with here here in Ontario, and, and a topic a topic of conversation many many weeks uh, on this LinkedIn audio form. So that I don't think anybody's surprised by that. And, and Massachusetts not only is a great sports market, but it's also a pretty uh, a pretty active media market. Yeah, um, it's it's certainly going to be an interesting um, one to see where the appetite you know massachusetts is also just a microcosm of i think what we're seeing at the national level and i think you guys are are seeing it in canada as well you had that fifth estate you know piece on sports betting we had a series of op-eds in new york times we've had pieces on vox we've had those op-eds at the local level that you've mentioned i think that the identity crisis of sports betting is coming for the U.S. where you want to find that balance between being aggressive in your acquisitions and your customer retention and your offers, but also keeping in mind that what may seem perfectly fine for us within the industry is just not as palatable to maybe the average person. Hey, Amanda Burr, I know that you, uh, you, you know, you work for Kindred. You deal quite often with your uh, with your fellow workers in the, the U.S. And of course, you follow this industry closely. Any any thoughts you want to piggyback on uh, with Jessica with as it regards to Massachusetts? Yeah, well, Kindred didn't seek a license in Massachusetts, and in fact, you know, going forward, it's going to be pretty much financially unattractive to go into any states that are sportsbook only. Um, we are in a handful um, that are, you know, sort of only offering fifty percent of the product. But you know, going forward, the focus will be to try to find states that are following more of the Pennsylvania model, you know, the New Jersey model, the Ontario model, where you can come in with, you know, multi-product and hopefully you don't see a great sort of reduction on the number of, of operators who can come in and get licenses too. So 
I think it'll be interesting watching what happens south of the border. I, I bang the drum repeatedly on how unique a model Ontario is, how unique a market Ontario is, but also all of Canada because it was grey for so long. Um, I think any any province that follows and Ontario does. I think Canada's always going to have a very different market and approach to things just because of the gray status that this country has been for, for more than a decade. Yeah. Chris Abbott? I thought the, the statement about, you know, Massachusetts is specifically um, kind of following Ontario's lead. Look, I make my money in the working in the industry, but I agree. I think, I think we shouldn't have um, messaging that goes out that says, uh, you know, you can't lose. Because there's people who believe that, um, you know, if you're getting that message from a, a trusted brand, um, then you you accept it, and it's just not the truth. Um, you can lose, um, and or if you get paid back in bet credits that you can't cash out, or or whatever it might be, right? So, um, yeah, I actually I'm all for it. To be honest, I never thought I would be, you know, a few years back, uh, in terms of regulating what um, what operators do. Um, I'm, I'm all for capitalism, but. Um, yeah, I think it's. I think it's good. I think we need to make sure we have protections in place for for vulnerable people. Hey, Will Hill, I'll get you in this one too if you want. Yeah, just reflecting on the breadth of all that Jessica said, I, I've really loved this visit to Schoolhouse Rock, one to grow on. <laughs> um, and, and in fact, what I would love because she touched on it briefly and in different places and in different states is to have her back to talk about the dynamic between commercial gambling interests and tribal gaming interests um, in, in the U.S. Because here in Canada, um, uh, th there isn't the same level of tribal gaming that there is in the U.S. I mean, in Ontario, we have Rama First Nation as a leaseholder for Casino Rama. We have the Mississaugas Scugog Island First Nation as the leaseholder for Great Blue Heron. And then a construct called OFNLP, Ontario First Nations Limited Partnership, um, gets money from OLG's top line, a designated percentage each year. But in the U.S., what I think it's important for listeners this podcast to understand is there is a real healthy dynamic and competitive competitive tension in a lot of different states between uh, tribal gaming operations and commercial gaming operations. And in some instances, uh, those tribal gaming operators um, are what's holding up uh, sports betting uh, deals being signed in different states. So I think it'd be uh, worthwhile revisiting uh, um, uh, when Jessica's up uh, in and around Toronto for uh, the Canadian Gaming Summit or even before then, uh, having her back on to talk more about that dynamic because I think it'd be informative and, and interesting to the people that listen to this uh, this cast regularly. Yeah, we'll let uh, we'll let Jessica share a mosh pit with Jack Black first, Will, and then we'll get her we'll get her back on this topic. It, uh, <laughs> Jessica, I can't, I can't let you go without, uh, again, just quickly scrolling through the newsletter and, and seeing your tweet today on, uh, on Lindsay Mathis, uh, the former Superbook personality who, who lost her job uh, after going into her sister's grade two uh, math class to talk about March Madness. And uh, uh, I'll just read Jessica's quote as uh, uh, tweet, I, I get more uppity than most about RG, but filling out a bracket, something the president does with a group of second graders doesn't really strike me as an issue unless she was hustling them for their lunch money while doing it. Um, again, I guess it's, it's always important to have a sense of humor, Jessica, but uh this uh, this story was cer certainly a, an eye roller, a head scratcher, and everything else as it relates to Lindsay Mathis losing her job. Although it should be pointed out that she landed on her feet quickly. I think uh, I think within 24 hours of, of this thing coming out uh, was announced that Lindsay's joining Sports Grid. 
Yeah, I believe she actually had turned in her notice. So it feels it's like it's like breaking up with someone and then they're like, no, I'm breaking up with you. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, this one, uh, again, I the culture around brackets uh, and I had a second tweet that just clarified filling out a bracket fundamentally isn't gambling. It's it's prognosticating. It's predicting. It's it's, you know, trying to determine the outcome of something that we don't know the outcome of. And certainly it gets tied to gambling a lot. But she didn't go in there with a, a super book shirt handing out super book pencils to fill out these brackets. She actually didn't even mention the affiliation of who she worked for. She just said she was a sports reporter. Um, you know, I think you have to be somewhat mindful of working in the gaming industry anytime you're around kids. Um this is just one that that got blown a bit out of proportion. Again, it's Problem Gambling Awareness Month. It's it's an important issue to teach kids about gambling in, you know, um, reasonable amounts. But to me, I've been, you know, I'm from a college basketball obsessed state. I've been filling out brackets since I was nine. And it wasn't for money. It was just for pride. The same way I like to predict the Oscars with my friends just for pride. And I think sometimes we conflate this so much that who would ever do this if you couldn't gamble on it? And there's plenty of people who like to do it just for fun. Yep. And we wouldn't know who Gonzaga was, Jessica, if we hadn't filled out a bracket. So there you go. There we, there we go. <laughs> God, I feel like the bracket teaches children more about geography than anything else. You learn where all these schools are, like uh, Drake and Iowa and things like that. Yeah, amen to that. Uh, Jessica Wellman is the editor of SBC Americas. Uh, you can follow our work at sbcamericas.com and on, on Twitter. Jessica, always love having you uh, loving you here on LinkedIn Audio with us. Uh, as Will mentioned, we'll, we'll get you back on again before the before the SBC Summit North America and Secaucus in, uh, in May, early May and, and before the Canadian Gaming Summit June 13th to 15th in Toronto. Uh, thanks so much for making the time to be with us this afternoon, Jessica. Always a pleasure here. Happy to come back anytime. Great. Thank you. Um, I want to stick with uh, with the, the road to, re- the road to uh, regulation or the road to expand a regulation quickly. Man, and just start with you. And and uh, Mark Keith had a piece in CDC Gaming Reports uh, yesterday, I believe, on, on Play Now in Manitoba celebrating its 10th anniversary this week. And, and um, you know... Uh, the, the the provincial the corporation that that runs uh runs that program i guess through the bclc but uh mark's story again the fact that there seems to be no no push at all right now towards uh following the ontario model in manitoba there is going to be i think manitoba as we've talked about on this uh, program i think manitoba is one of three or four provinces that are going to have a provincial election this year and maybe that changes things but Maybe, Amanda, any, any intel or insight on, on any movement in Manitoba? Yeah, I'm just consulting my crystal ball over here to <laughs> see what it says. Yeah, Manitoba, I, you know, it was one of the early adopters, strangely enough, of, you know, online gaming through BCLC's Play Now website. Um, and I think that works perfectly for that province, given the population base that it has. And, you know, when we've talked about this in the past, we've, we've indicated that future provinces following in Ontario's footsteps, really for operators to come in, there has to be a population base that makes it worthwhile for them. Uh, you know, and you'd have to 
keep the same open concept that Ontario has, which is you're not restricting the products being offered. You're not restricting the number of operators who can come in. You have an outcomes or risk-based set of regulations and you have a tax rate that's 20% or lower. So as long as these conditions are met and your population base is worth it, then you know, operators will be pretty happy to come in and sign up. But for some of the provinces like Saskatchewan, like Manitoba, like the Atlantic provinces, their population base would dictate that there probably wouldn't be a huge amount of uptake for a lot of operators to come in and, and, and set up an iGaming, um, you know, a, re a regulated iGaming market. I'm happy to be proven wrong, but my sense, and I think Will will have a, a, a few great points too, I, my sense is that play now website works really well for for manitoba's needs yeah well definitely want your thoughts on that yeah so, so the matter of provinces across canada i think we what we have to remember here is ontario is very much the exception not the rule and and what ontario did really was quite exceptional um in a, in a very literal sense um that uh, i mean essentially you had a provincial government that gave away, for all intents and purposes, a legislative monopoly. The fact of the matter is, the Canadian Criminal Code dictates that gambling in this country is entirely illegal, except for certain exceptions. One of those exceptions being that the province, or a series of provinces working together, can conduct and manage lawful gambling activities. So everyone else is on the outside looking in. Um, and yet Ontario decided that it was in its best interest, and I think it act actually it was, as we now have empirical data to support it, um, that opening the doors and letting others in um, within a regulated firm framework is for the best. Um, but it's going to take time for other provinces to actually see and accept that and understand the math that you know giving away what is a monopolistic position um, could still end up working out in their favor, as it has in Ontario, um, as it has in Denmark, as it has in other countries in the European Union. Uh, but that's going to take some time. Um, and uh, there are, as you know, I'm sort of hearing different rumblings uh, across the industry, and none that I'm going to repeat here because they're all very much rumor and hearsay. Uh, but you know, what what th there are some provinces that seem to be uh, a little bit more keen than others. Uh, but none that have taken the kind of action that the Ontario government took in the spring of 2019 when they put down in writing in their provincial budget that here's what we're going to do. Uh, and they did exactly that. So uh, we'll see. Um, you know, uh, government is good, but government is slow. And that, you know, applies across all the different jurisdictions um, here in Canada. Chris, I'm going to get you to stop watching the uh, Connor Hellebuck highlight video on youtube for a second and, and give me uh, and get, get you to weigh in on this i was fully engaged with the whole thing steve i uh, <laughs> we've got some folks in town from head office and a couple of new employees this week so it's it's been hectic around here um i mean yeah i i don't know who's who's going to do what when i mean um there's lots of hearsay and and and, and i don't know so i'm not going to pretend to know but i would think that at some point uh, the governments will will start to get pressure, um, whether it's from constituents or opposition uh, parties or whatever, when they see the the revenue, the jobs, and and all that's being created in Ontario. I do agree with Amanda, uh, and we all know this: all, all provinces are not created equally in terms of population, in terms of uh, spending power, etc. But you know, it goes without saying that there is there's plenty of tax revenue walking out the door 
in a lot of these provinces. So while they may be happy with how you know play now or um, what the ALC is doing out east, um, you know there's brands, there's opportunities, there's uh, uh, sites to engage with that that you know are broadcasting nationally on, on advertising. People want the access to these. So I think there there might be a little bit more to it than just you know the government saying. Uh, we're happy with it, or maybe the uh, uh, the structure of of the fee system uh, might not apply as well to us, or whatever. I think there there at some point, and it may not be right away. There will be um, there'll be some demand for some of the products that are not accessible for people living in those provinces. Hey, Will, uh, J- Jessica mentioned the, you know the sports teams being being in Texas yesterday for the for the session there, and and the you know influence potentially that teams like the Cowboys and the Texas Rangers would have, um, you know, is there, do you think there's the same kind of pressure coming? Look at Alberta, for example, with, uh, with the flames and Oilers and, and Elks and, and Stampeders. And, um, do you think there maybe is, is some pressure being put on the provincial government by those teams out there? Or, or do you think because there is a gray market that, uh, that, that it just isn't important? So what I will say is when I was in Vancouver recently, I went to a Canucks game and playnow.com, BCLC, uh, had uh, rink board space with the Canucks. Um, and uh, I know that there's uh, a similar deal in place with uh, the Winnipeg Jets um, in the True North Center, I believe it is, in, in, in uh, uh, Winnipeg. Um, I think there's there's probably uh, similar deals in place Um in Alberta with the Flames and, and uh, the Oilers and maybe the as well, the, uh, the Elks and the Stampeders. I do know this. Um, about a year ago at this time, um, the Edmonton Oilers hired a very dear friend of mine and an absolutely super guy within the gaming industry, Cam Adams, to be their vice president of gaming. Um, and, you know, Cam was put in charge of both their electronic 50-50 charitable raffles, which, you know, lead the entire NHL uh, there in Edmonton, uh, but also um, uh, part of his purview, as the job description laid out, uh, was to stay alive and, 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 and aware of trends in the gaming industry um, that uh, could work with, with the Oilers um, and the ICE district, the development right around um, the Oilers' home arena. Um, so, Clearly, there is there is an interest when you when you're hiring on uh, you know an esteemed executive like my guy Cam, um, you, you're you're paying attention to the industry and are interested in how it impacts upon upon your product. I want to wrap up with uh, we dedicated a section the newsletter t- today to um, to uh, a lunch and learn webinar that the Responsible Gambling Council hosted yesterday and. Uh, for people like like Will and, and Jessica and, and Chris and Amanda, it, you know, it was probably uh, you know a, a little. It was a uh, basically a, a sports betting and young adults one hundred and one. So topics that they're certainly very well educated on. But I just wanted to wrap up the show by asking Chris, you first, and then Amanda. You know, just how much discussion there is. Uh, in your offices around young adults and 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 betting and and safe gambling and are there any trends that that you see you know either that are show the opportunities there are around young young adults to bet but also some potential challenges and and risk and things that you're paying attention to yeah i mean what i've seen personally um 
you know, a lot of young men, especially, um, betting in groups with their friends on the weekend, um, and, and really making it part of their sports viewing experience. Um, I don't know about you guys when I was, you know, 20, 21, 22, I didn't have a lot of money, although I did have access to more than I probably should have through student loans and credit and things like that. <laughs> so, um, I think it's important that, you know, to recognize that, okay, they've, they've all grown up with a device in their hand, you know, us, us old heads on here, you know, we got the internet later in life and it wasn't, you know, a, a, a direct part of everything we did. Uh, this is a natural extension for, for young adults and I'll, I'll stick with young men for now on, on, you know, the path that I've experienced. And I think there's probably not enough awareness going towards it from an RG perspective. I think, um, hey, look, it's like anything in any industry. If you can get a consumer when they're young, then their life cycle is longer than than uh, than others. So, you know, as an operator, you want to attract these people. You want them to have a good experience um, in your in your product. But at the same time, um, I also know that when I was that age, I was invincible, right? And I, I didn't know enough about the world. Definitely didn't know enough about the world of money uh, and the risks of gambling or or frankly, whatever other risks face an adult. So yeah, it's a long-winded way of saying it's something we need to um, take into consideration. And maybe some of that messaging that's going out there needs to be a little less generic and maybe more focused on, you know, the college kid or, or whatever. Uh, Amanda had to hop off for an, another uh, another meeting. So, but she uh, she did text me and say that she echoes what what Chris had to say. So let's let's wrap it up there. Um, thanks again, Chris Abbott, Amanda Brewer, Will Hill, uh, Jessica Wellman, Kelly Koffler, Reg Behe. Um, really appreciate everybody sticking around for for the hour and and uh, great information, insight, and opinion as as always. Um, we get together here on LinkedIn audio every Thursday afternoon between two and 3 PM Eastern time. So spread the word to your friends. Uh, we also produce a podcast from this forum that comes out on, on Sunday morning. So you can, uh, you can catch uh, the podcast on, on Apple, Spotify, Substack, and the other, other, uh, platforms. Um, thanks everybody for joining us again. We didn't get a chance to talk about March Madness, Chris, maybe we'll get back in. We'll get into that next week on the show. Uh, thanks everybody. Please enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, be safe out there and we will see you again here in seven days time. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the gaming news Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn to join the live audience. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest. <laughs>